0: Let's say um, at, at the last service over at Fairview, um, little Colting had a cap gun, and he was, uh, and he was, um, it didn't have caps in it, but he was shooting at me during the service, <laughs> and so this is a lot less hostile a crowd. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Everyone, uh, keep it in the holster. Um. So uh, this has been the longest three-week series uh, I think uh, uh, we've ever done. It seems like we've taken a Sunday break between, uh, between each, each part. But we're going to wrap up talking about uh, dropping everything and following Jesus. We talked about how, um, how uh, Jesus prepared the way uh, for Simon to be able to accept the call. That's prevenient grace, by the way. Uh, we talked about um, about the dramatic um, experience uh, that, um, that that Simon had on that boat, where he realized that Jesus was the difference maker, and uh, and he decided to uh, to um, to follow Jesus. That's justifying grace by the way. So guess what we're talking about today? Um, today we're talking about what that call entails. What exactly was it that, uh, that Jesus was um, calling the disciples to? And, uh, and to figure that out, we're going to look at Luke, the 6th chapter, verses 12 through 16. And then we're going to jump to the ninth chapter, verses 1 through 6. Hear now the word of our Lord. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called the disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Jugas, son of James, and Jugas Iscariot, who became a, tra- a Trager. Skipping on to chapter 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. This is the Word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. Don't know if you all have heard, but there's a, there's a little sports program on tonight, a big game. Um, of course, the Super Bowl is, uh, is the biggest sporting event of the year. Um, it is watched by more people in the U.S. Uh, than just about anything. Um, somewhere north of 100 million people will watch the game tonight. And there at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia, um, there'll be somewhere north of 100,000 people gathered uh, to be at that place and spectate. Uh, Each team will bring with them, um, you know, uh, when you get um, the 56 active roster players and then, uh, and then all the coaching staff and the equipment people and, uh, and, and the water bottle people, you know, they'll probably have, have about 100 people there. But at any given moment, each team will have 11 people on the field. And at any given moment, those 11 people are the difference makers? Think about that for a second. At some point tonight, uh, maybe uh, fifty million people will be cheering for one team, and 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 the and the quarterback will uh, throw a, a hail mary pass, and we'll all be shoveling our guacamole and eating our wings, and we'll stop for a second. We'll hold our breath. We'll just kind of clench our fist. Is it going to happen? And all those people in the crowd, probably 50,000 of those people will be, be rooting for this ball to get to where it's going. And uh, there'll be people paying head to toe, wearing clown wigs, and, and there'll be celebrities. But everyone there will be, will be cheering this, this, this ball on. But at that exact moment, there are only 11 people that can work together to score touchdown. Out of all that whole crowd of, of people making noise and, and, and yelling and spectating, there are 11 difference makers, 11 players on the field. Now, when I was in high school, um, I really wasn't the athletic type. Don't everyone gasp at once. Um, but it's true. No, no, it's true. Um, and so well, I would go to all the football games, but I was always in the pep band. Uh, I, I, I played drums. And, and whenever, uh, whenever the team came out on the field, we were the, we were the Paintsville Tigers. And so we'd always play Eye of the Tiger when the team came out onto the field. And then um, if, we, uh, if, we make a, if we make a great tackle... Uh, we'd play Another One Bites the Dust. And then, uh, of course, when, when we got that touchdown, we'd play the fight song. And I, I'd show up faithfully to, to, to every game and, uh, and, and play my part. And, and, and we'd cheer and we, we'd do our songs and we'd make a lot of noise. And then at the end of the game, if we did well, I'd come home and I'd say to mom and dad, We won! And uh, if we didn't do so well, I'd come home and I'd say to mom and dad, we lost, right? We, we won. We lost. But the truth is, for all the noise I was making up there in the stands, I had zero impact on the actual game. For all the, the, the sick, awesome drum rolls I was doing... I wasn't putting a single point on the board. Because at any given time, there were 11 difference makers for the home team. And I wasn't one of them. So there's a difference between being a player on the field and playing in the pep band. I think some of y'all kind of get where I'm going with this. Right. And this thing called life and this and this game of life and this struggle uh, between the kingdom and and, and the forces of evil. Right. There there are players on the field and there are people playing in the pep band. And then a a lot of us, especially kind of in the modern church, have kind of gotten this uh, this sort of pep band mentality that we're going to show up once a week. We're going to make a lot of noise. Uh, make some good music. But at the end of the day, are we really advancing the ball forward? Are we really putting any points on the scoreboard? Are we playing in the field or are we playing in the pep band? It's a good thing for us to think about this morning. A lot of us... uh, a lot of us have, have sort of carried on this pep band mentality. We, we see that the church is sort of the pep band and the, those people that uh, raise their hands and say, I'm called into ministry, right? We, we, we think of those as the players on the field and we cheer them on and we, we clap and we encourage them. Or sometimes we go, they're just, they're just not cutting it. Right. Think of some of our churches. The whole church is up there in the pep band, and they they expect their uh, their their pastor to 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 sort of uh, uh, snap the ball backwards and, and then get it, and then call the play, and and then throw it forward, and then run up into the end zone to catch the ball. We want the pastor to to play all the roles, and then when he gets sacked, <laughs> we go, ah. Oh. We've been trying this for years, one pastor after another, and none of them are cutting it. Why aren't we putting any points on the board? We've got such a great pep band. (laughs) But when we look at Jesus' ministry, we see something very different. We see a different model for what ministry is. We see a ministry in which everyone is called and sent onto the field. A lot of us, we can't help it. When we think of the, when we think of the, the disciples, uh, we picture them as sort of a Jesus traveling pep band, right? Uh, Jesus goes from place to place. And he's preaching. He's healing. And the disciples are just sort of uh, uh, standing in the background clapping, Wow, that was a great miracle, Jesus. You, you really uh, pushed those demons into those pigs. They went off the cliff. That was amazing. J-E-S-U-S. Woo! But when we actually look at the Gospels, we see a very different picture. Look again at, uh, at chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus called these disciples and then he sent them out. He called them, then he taught them, then he equipped them, and then he sent them out. He sent them out to do the things that he was doing. He didn't just have his disciples stand around and watch him heal people. He gave the disciples his power to go out and heal others. He didn't just have the the, the disciples uh, stand around and listen to him preach and, uh, and try to memorize it so they could write it down later someday. He sent them out to preach. Jesus didn't call disciples to be part of his traveling pep band. He called the twelve to be his starting lineup, to get out there into the world and to put points on the board. Now, that's just the twelve, right? I, I mean, the twelve, sure, Peter, James, and John, they all like have saint before their name, Right? Like, oh, surely, surely, you know, um, those, are, those are the people in ministry, right? But the rest of us, what about all those other disciples? You didn't send them out, right? You know, surely there's, a, there, there, there's space in the church for people that, uh, that are just kind of the, the pep band and, and just, just come get fed. And There's only one problem with that theory. In the Gospel of Luke, you only have to flip forward one chapter, Chapter 10, at the very beginning, Jesus does it again. Except this time, instead of calling 12 people, he calls 72. 72 of his disciples. He gives them pretty much the same speech and then sends them out to preach the word, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And I think we get these two you know, instances in the gospel because uh, the gospel writers want to give us the speech that, that Jesus would say when he sent people out. But I kind of think this was his MO. I think he was constantly doing this. He was calling people, he was equipping them, and he was sending them out. You know, most of us, uh, you know, the gospels, they kind of put this, uh, this tight lens on Jesus right? Because the Gospels are all about Jesus, how he lived, what he did. But if we were to take that wide angle lens, we would see that the disciples aren't just standing around. As Jesus is healing and proclaiming, the disciples are healing and proclaiming too. See, Jesus called the disciples and then he sent them. He called them, and then he equipped them, he, he taught them, and then he sent them. Jesus' ministry wasn't uh, one in which he was a one-man show, and the disciples were just sort of his, his traveling entourage, just his big fan club that, that were watching him do all his great miracles. He was consciously training his disciples for the time that he was going to go up into heaven, and he was going to need them to preach and to heal in his absence. See, when we look at the Gospels, we don't get this pep band mentality. We see that all of us Christians are called out onto the field. All of us are sent. Now, Jesus had what is sometimes called the threefold ministry, of Jesus. He preached, he healed, and he taught. There, there's a, there's a, a, a verse in, in Matthew that has all three of those things. He taught in the synagogues, uh, he preached, and, and he healed those that were sick. That's his threefold ministry. Of those three things, teaching, preaching, and healing, there is only one of those tasks that he reserved for himself. That was teaching he said, I'm the one that's got the direct line with the Father, <laughs> right? I'm going to teach you all. I'm going to equip you all. I'm going to train you all. But as far as preaching and as far as uh, as, um, as, as healing others, I expect you to do that too. And I kind of think of uh, as a pastoral ministry sort of the same way, that uh, that this obligation to teach has, has been... Uh, is being handed to those of us that are called pastors. I take very seriously my uh, responsibility to dig into the word and tell you as clearly as I can what I found in here this week. And and as much as it's possible to keep my opinion out of it and, and God's truth into it. I take that responsibility very seriously as my sort of as my teaching role as your pastor. But I'm not the only one in this room that is called to preach. All of us have been called to be sent out of this room and to proclaim the gospel wherever we are. I'm not the only one uh, in, in this room that is called to do good works. All of us are called to be agents of healing wherever we are. Wherever you find yourself this week, Jesus has sent you there. He is giving you His power and His authority to proclaim the good news and to be an agent of healing. Wherever you find yourself this week, Jesus has sent you there. Have you ever been in one of those situations where um, you you wish you had your pastor like uh, maybe maybe you're at work and and somehow the conversation turned to like uh like like the things of God. Sometimes conversations just do that, right? And uh, gosh, I wish I wish the minister were here and and and, and, and he'd know what to say and, and he'd speak into this conversation. Or or maybe. Um, the way people are talking, it's it, 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 it's almost abusive, and it's gossipy, and 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 you know that that the, the things that are being talked of aren't aren't godly, and and, the, and that you should stick up and you should say something, but you're not sh- quite sure you have the words, and and you just sort of say, gosh, I wish the minister were here. He, you know, you are the minister. You are called into ministry wherever you find yourself, Jesus has sent you there. I'll help you however I can, right. You, you know, you, you can go into the bathroom, call me up, Facebook me. <laughs> what, what should I say? But you're the one who's been sent there. I've not been sent there. You're the one that already has the relationships. I don't have the relationships. You're the one that, you know, is, is in that context. You have been sent there. Wherever you are, Jesus has sent you as a Christian. And he gives us this promise that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. That when we find ourselves not knowing what to say, the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. That we'll feel that prompting and, all right, this is what you want me to say, I'll say it. All of us have been called to proclaim the gospel wherever we go. And all of us have been sent to be agents of healing. Now, um, in Jesus' and disciples' day, you saw a lot of demon possession, right? That's a whole other sermon, what we're to make today of those demon stories. And if you ever want to sit down and, and talk with me about that, I'd love to, but, but let's just set that aside for a second and admit that we just don't see a lot of that these days. We just don't see a lot of, you know... Shirley in accounting is probably in a bad mood, but she's probably not possessed by a demon, right? We don't think, right? But there are situations that we are called to be agents of healing in, that we are called to be agents of truth in. Now, someone doesn't have to be uh, 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 possessed by a demon they don't have to be in the in the throes of of, of of demonic activity. They could be in the throes of addiction. You know, someone doesn't have to be uh, crushed by uh, by the spirit of Beelzebub. They could just be under a big old pile of medical bills. Someone doesn't have to be, uh, you know, the kid at school doesn't have to be tortured by, uh, by uh, a legion uh, uh, of demons speaking in his head. He could just have all those words of shame and doubt and blame and regret that lead so many of our teenagers to commit suicide. I wish I could get around to everyone in your life and speak the gospel to them, but that, that's not my job. Wherever you are, you have been sent there. You are the agent of healing. Sometimes that's, that's gentle encouragement. Sometimes that is, is firm intervention. Sometimes that's speaking the truth in love. Sometimes that's offering words of forgiveness. Sometimes sometimes that's baking a cake. Sometimes That's financial generosity. But all of us, wherever we are in life, we have been sent there to be agents of healing and to proclaim the good news. All of us. When when, when we say, Jesus, use me, we're called into the ministry because the ministry is everywhere. Some of us, we get paid by churches and we get to call ourselves pastor. And, uh, you know, like you start getting mail that has reverend before your name. It's kind of (laughs) cool. But all of us are ministers. All of us are ministers of the gospel. And all of us are sent out into that field every day to put points on the board to make a difference, to advance the kingdom forward. So, if we're all called on the field, where's the pep band? I mean, who's in the stands? I mean, isn't that kind of important to have people in the stands kind of, kind of cheering us on, encouraging us, and, 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 and sending us forward? I mean, imagine if tonight the uh, <coughs> the the Rams and the Patriots showed up uh, in Atlanta and 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 there was no one there, like the whole stadium was empty. They'd want that ring pretty bad. They'd probably still play, but they probably feel pretty deflated. Imagine if we all just collectively decided tonight we're going to watch Real Housewives on Netflix instead. <laughs> Right? And no one's, no one's tuning into the game. Probably feel pretty bad about that. I probably wouldn't play as hard. Don't we kind of need the pep band? Don't we kind of need people encouraging us out on the field? I've got good news for you. The Bible promises us that we do have a stand full of people cheering for us. Clapping for us, our biggest fans, encouraging us as we go forward. But no one here in that room gets to join that band just yet. So you can find it in the uh, in the uh, in the book of Hebrews, the eleventh chapter of Hebrew is, is is always called the faith chapter because it's, it's this chapter in which, which the writer talks about all the people who have gone before us and how they lived by faith. By faith, Abraham uh, went to a place that he didn't know. He left his country behind and, 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 and he did it all by faith. By faith, Moses. By faith, David. All the heroes. And then he reaches this climax at the end of chapter 11, where, where he, says, he says, he starts talking about all the people who have gone before whose names we don't even know, who have lived for the faith, who have died for the faith, who have advanced the ball forward. And then, then he ends chapter 11 and goes into chapter 12. He says this. Ah, uh, Got to get to it. All right. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. See, as we go out on this field, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. All of the Christians who have come before, all the people who have come before who have run this race, who have fought this fight, who have played this game, they're looking down on us. And even as we, uh, as many of us right now are going through times of grief, some, some of us have lost people just very recently. Um, we've lost people a, a, a year or two ago. Some of you, it's been several years, but it's still fresh. Some of you, it's been many years. But we, as we go through that grief, we also, we also, as Christians, hold on to that hope that now, that now the pep band has one more member, and, and, and they are watching us, and, and they are cheering for us, and they are cheering us on as we continue this walk of faith. My dad used to tell this story, so it must have happened like in the 1700s. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, it, was a, it was a football game, senior night, the last home game of the season. And, it's, and, and the story is about this, this, this kid named Charlie. He's a senior. Um, he's been on a football team for four years, but he's really not distinguished himself. Most games, uh, he gets to play towards the end if the score is pretty safe. But tonight is senior night, and so Charlie gets to play. He gets to start. And uh, in the first play of the game, Charlie gets the ball and runs for seven yards. And the next play of the game, uh, he runs for another six yards. His third carry, he scores a touchdown. Now this is one of those towns where like the whole town comes out on Friday night to see the game and people are cheering and they're clapping and they're yelling and they can't believe it. Like, who is this kid? Where did he come from? So later they're, 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 uh, they're in the locker room, it's halftime. Um, the, the coach is giving them the speech, they're winning, He's like, keep it up. And he sends them out, uh, but, but he, he has Charlie stay behind for a second. He says, "Kid, where have you been for four years? I don't have to tell you that if, if you've been playing like that for for the last for the last couple of years, you probably have a full ride scholarship right now. Why in the world did you decide to come alive tonight?" Charlie looks at the coach and says, "Well, coach, you know that." Just last week, my dad died. Well, you probably didn't know, Coach, is that Pop was blind. And, you know, I was getting suited up and getting ready to go out on that field tonight, and it struck me. This is the first night my dad's going to get to see me play. Who is it for you, I wonder? Who is your biggest fan up there in the stands cheering you on? Because I got to tell you, boys and girls, I'm not going to mince words. We are getting our butts handed to us out there. The other team, I mean, they're racking up the points. I know some of you are in your fourth quarter and some of you are just getting suited up, but man, we got to get out there and we got to win this thing. You know who we are? We're the church. We're the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. The gates of hell cannot prevail against us. Now, I want each and every one of you to straighten up I want you to stand up and suit up, and I want you to go out there and win us a football game. Woo! In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.